Hey, everybody. My name is Kevin Sanders, lead pastor here, if you don't know me, and how good it is to worship with you all. Man, it's a good day. It's a good day. And we're going to focus in on God's Word together today, so it is a good day. Imagine with me for a moment, think of your entire life, all of it, from birth to now. Some of us, that will be a little easier than others. <laughs> others, it might be harder, not because you've lived long, you're just mem- memories just shot, right? But think about your entire life, from birth to now. Think about the best moments, the greatest moments, those, those moments you're most proud of, that brings you joy to remember. Quickly think of the embarrassing moments, then jump over those and move on to think of those heart-wrenching moments, those heartache moments, those sad moments. And then move beyond that and think of all the mundane things in between. Mundane and yet somehow beautiful. All those moments that make up your life. Now, think not just of those moments in your life, but think of the context of your life. What was going on in the world as you've been living? The, the global triumphs and the global catastrophes. The, the victories and the heartaches. The, the challenges and the letdowns and the breakthroughs. And now imagine... With all of that in mind, that somebody, let's just hypothetically imagine like a 5'8 guy, around 110 pounds, frequently confused for George Clooney. <laughs> and he stands before you, prepared to take all that you know and boil it down to four 30-minute talks. How good of a job you think that guy's going to do? That's what we're setting out to do in our new series, Elijah. Clearly, there's going to be a lot left on the cutting room floor. Some of it will be picked up on your own through the reading plan. So I do encourage you to read that if you have uh, not started, catch up. But we are looking at the life and ministry of one of the Bible great, Bible's great heroes, Elijah. We've broken it into four weeks. The setup, that's today— the showdown, the letdown, and the comeback. Today, the setup. But what I want you to know is that, yes, while we are looking at the life and ministry of Elijah as best as we can in these four weeks, the reality is our series is not primarily focused on Elijah. It is primarily focused on God. Namely, God's power, God's promises, and God's provision. And I want to encourage you here at the outset, because we just spent some time reflecting on our entire lives, to view your life not as a story about you, but about God. Not about what you do, but what God has done and is doing in and through you. Not a life of your own accomplishments, but of God's amazing work in your life. A lot of times our lives have been referred to as a book, right? Kind of with a beginning, a middle, an end, and characters and all the stuff that happens. But what we know is our lives aren't a book. It's a chapter in God's great ongoing story. 
And so today, we name that God's power, his promises, his provisions weren't just available back in Elijah's day. They are real and present here and now in your life as well. So when we look at this story of Elijah, this life, this historical account, we recognize a common thread between Elijah and us is God. We are all a part of his story. I had an English teacher who was very into his story, history. We're all a part of history, which is namely his story. So we're going to talk about Elijah, who he is, and what was going on in the times that he served. And to start that, we're going to start in 1 Kings chapter 16, looking at verse 29 through 32. It will be on the screen, but grab that Bible in front of you. Bring yours from home if you don't have it. If you're at home worshiping with us, thank you for joining us. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles. 1 Kings 16, 29 through 32. In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, son of Omri, became king of Israel, and he reigned in Samaria over Israel 22 years. Ahab, the son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any others before him. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians, and he began to serve Baal and worship him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal, that he built in Samaria. So finding ourselves in this historical account, if you remember, there was a long line of kings that reigned in Israel. You'll also remember kings were not God's idea. In fact, the, the humankind at that time kept wanting a king. We want a king. We need someone to help set things right and someone to follow. And he goes, I am here to set things right and to follow. But eventually God relented and allowed them to establish a true on earth kingdom. And we know that, that, that basically they messed up a lot. A lot. There's First Kings and Second Kings. You can also look at the Chronicles. They start actually in Samuel, so the books of First and Second Samuel. They messed up a lot. Even the brightest spots of the kings of Israel, such as David, were still incredibly broken and still did some very awful things. Now, during this time, during the, the, the king's era, Israel split into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom, which remained the title Israel, and the southern kingdom of Judah. Now, the northern kingdom, Jeroboam, is who broke off into that to establish a separate kingdom. Now, none of the kings in northern Israel, not a single one of the 20-some kings that ruled in northern Israel were faithful to God or his covenant. Not one. The southern kingdom, Judah, that's where David's line came from and where Jerusalem resided. They did a little better, but it was only eight out of 20 that remained faithful to God and his covenant. Those are not good odds. And today we're talking about Ahab. Ahab ruled in the north. He was a northern king. I mean, all things considered, he seems like a pretty good guy. 
at least he has really great taste in women. No. No. Ahab did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any before him. This is a big deal. In fact, you'll see that line repeated for many of the kings within First and Second Kings. They did more evil in the eyes of the Lord before him. It's a compounding interest kind of thing. I'm not a banker, so talk to one of our bankers, but that's a big deal. That they did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than the one before him who did more evil in the lives of the Lord who did more before him who did more evil in the eyes of the Lord before him. Do you see what I'm saying? It's really evil. It's a lot of bad building up in front of a very patient God. And not only in the same sins of Jeroboam, which was idolatry and turning your back on God, but then he went and married Jezebel. Man, that's such a beautiful name for such a wicked person. She was bad news. She was the daughter of an enemy king. And together, Jezebel and Ahab set up a temple of Baal. Different ways to pronounce Baal, Baal, whatever. I'm saying Baal just to keep it simple. In fact, they set up a temple of him within the temple of Samaria they built that was meant to be God's temple. They started worshiping and serving this false god, started promoting it as the state religion. This is no small offense. That'd be like if I came here next week and said, guess what, guys? No longer the one true God. Now this God is who we're worshiping. You would have me out of here before you know it, and the moving truck would already be there, right? As you should, if I ever were to get up and say that. This is not good. Someone had to do something. Someone had to say something. But this was the king. Who's going to stand before the king? Who would dare be brave enough and foolish enough to stand before the king? First Kings 17, verse 1. Now Elijah, the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And the Lord, word of the Lord came to Elijah, Depart from here, turn eastward, hide yourself by the brook Cherith which is east of the Jordan, you shall drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So Elijah went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went, he lived by the brook Cherith, that is east of the Jordan, and the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook, and after a while the brook dried up, because... There was no rain in the land. We already know that the people, as led by Ahab and Jezebel, had broken their covenant with God. You remember the covenant, I, I trust that, that God promised, I will be your God. You will be my people. You will be treasured above all else if you follow me in obedience and keep my covenant. It's a two-way promise. I promise this if you promise that. And God has consistently never broken his promise. 
But here God is showing off his power as well as his provision and his promise. Baal, this false god, he was, they viewed, the god of fertility and the one who brought the rains and bountiful harvests. So what does God say? I will show you who created and commands the cosmos and the elements. It's not this false pretender god. Oh, no. So God is directly showing them. It's not Baal in charge of this. It is him. There is only one true God, one all-powerful God, one God who reigns above it all, and none are above him, and all are beneath him. He here will show in dramatic and memorable and profound ways in hopes to draw his people back to him, his wayward people back to him, back into his promises, back under his provision and his protection and his power. And so Elijah is the one willing to stand before the king and speak as the Lord God of Israel lives. Before whom I stand, there will be no dew nor rain these years except when God decides, except by my word. Elijah is a prophet of God. A prophet of God knows the word of the Lord, receives the word of the Lord, and speaks the word of the Lord. He represents God to the people, and in a way, the people to God. They guard and protect the covenant, and they call out when God's people have gone astray from it, and here they have gone astray. And so he gives this word to the king, and we don't get Ahab's like reaction or response. I always wonder, is he, did he laugh at him? Did he say, yeah, we'll see about that? Did he send guards after him? We don't, we don't know. But we know God tells Elijah, get out of here, flee, because it's about to get ugly out there. And I need to protect you because I have another work for you. He gets out of there. God says, don't worry. Don't worry. I'll provide for you. Drought? Famine? I will take care of you. Just as I've promised, it is in my power to care for you. I will send the ravens to feed you. And, you know, Elijah, if he was like us, he'd be like, what? The ravens to feed me? My dog won't even bring the ball back when we play fetch. And you're going to send ravens to feed me? All right. Cool. And then, just imagine, remember? Do you remember, Elijah? My people in the desert? When I promised that I would provide for them, when I would send manna from heaven, I would allow the quails to come and that they were covered. Not just for three years, a few years, 40 years. I have them covered. So I'll take care of you. In fact, I'll even give you twice as much food. I'll, I'll let you have two types of things in the morning and the evening. How about that? A feast. I will provide. I will provide. I will provide even as I display my power to everyone else by withholding from the land. Three years go by. Have you ever, like, opened your fridge and you feel like, man, we need to go to the grocery store? Got nothing. Got nothing. Imagine three years of that, right? Three years. Not a single drop. Not a single bead of dew upon the ground for three entire years. You want to talk about desperation. These were desperate, desperate times. 
what is the king and the queen's response? Jezebel, she is rounding up God's prophets left and right to slaughter them. He's killing them. Obadiah, we read about him. If you read in the reading plan, you will know Obadiah. He serves the Lord as a double agent. I love this guy, right? He is sitting there in Ahab. He's like, he's like a main dude in Ahab's rule. And Obadiah is there hiding God's prophets. It says he hid them by the hundreds uh, in the caves. He broke them up into fifties like that. And he fed them and provided them water. The king, meanwhile, Ahab is frantic. He is searching everywhere for Elijah. We know this because of Obadiah's words. He is just, I got to find this Elijah. All his anger fixed on Elijah. He wanted to kill him. Now get this twisted thinking. Ahab never once considers Elijah's words to be true. He sees Elijah as the problem. You upset Baal, the one who provides the water. You upset him, so I need to find Elijah who disrespected Baal, so he's withholding, and I need to kill him. It does not suggest that he stops and thinks about Elijah's words. So Elijah meets up with Obadiah, and Obadiah, he fears the Lord, but he also fears the king. He fears for his life, even as he was being used by God as an instrument for his provision, while he failed to see God's provision for him, himself. Think about the logistics of hiding hundreds of prophets and feeding them and giving them water when there is no food or drink. How do you even do that? You need someone like organized like Allison to pull that off. But he was doing all of this. Already, like, if Ahab found this out, he's gone, right? But this was the moment where he got afraid. His fear overcame his fear of the Lord. You see, Elijah tells him, tell Ahab to meet me. And he's worried that God's going to send Elijah elsewhere, and then Ahab's going to show up, and Elijah's not there, so Ahab will kill him. But maybe... If you're like me, you can kind of relate to Obadiah a little bit. Where, yes, you fear the Lord, you love him, you revere him, you respect him, even courageously serve him. But then he calls you to do something, you go, Ooh, there's my line, God. That's where I'm afraid. That's the thing I don't want to cross. That's the thing where I want to serve you, but I don't know if I can take that step because it's scary out there. And I know you're all powerful and all that, but I don't see how you will provide. And yet what we learn from God is we take that step anyway. Elijah, he was kind to Obadiah, and he said, he said this. This is in chapter 18, starting at 15. Elijah said, As the Lord of hosts lives, before whom I stand, I will surely show myself to Ahab today. And so Obadiah, he went to meet with Ahab and he told him. He stepped through that fear, didn't he? Elijah gave him the word he needed to cross that threshold and to serve the Lord. And Ahab went to meet Elijah. Three years of Ahab's people suffering. Three years of him 
fixating on Elijah, probably not sleeping because he's picturing his little wilderness living face and just wanting him to be ground in the ground, right? Obadiah, or excuse me, Ahab did not like Elijah. Three years! And so when Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, is it you? Is it actually, is it really, is it truly you, you troubler of Israel? And Elijah answered, Oh, I have not troubled Israel, but you have, and your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord. You have followed the Baals. Now therefore, send and gather all of Israel to me at Mount Carmel and the 450 prophets of Baal, and let's also not forget Asherah, the 400 prophets of Asherah, who eat at Jezebel's table. That, my friends, is the gauntlet thrown down. Next week, Pastor Curry will be picking up the thread of this account with one of the most dramatic encounters we read of in the Bible, where it is these 850 prophets false prophets of a false gods show down with one prophet of the one true God. But we're talking right now about Elijah and the landscape. Ahab's so furious, right? Don't you think he could have came up with a better insult than, you, tr- you, you troublemaker! You troublemaker of Israel! troublemaker of Israel. And then later, Elijah brings his dad into it too, right? He goes, you and your father's house. Anyway, troublemaker of Israel was actually a formal charge. It's not just a weak insult. He is bringing a formal charge to Elijah, saying everything that has gone on is because of you. You are the source of this trouble, not me. Troublemaker of Israel, Ahab, is coming at him from a position of his kingly strength. Trying to set the boundaries and control the confrontation and how it will go. You troublemaker of Israel. He was so blinded to his sin, he claims and fully believes that Elijah is the cause of the drought and the famine. When we are living in sin, when we are living in sin, when we are in Ahab's place, when we're living in sin, we're often blinded by sin. Jesus talked a bit about this, talking about a plank in our own eye. A plank in our own eye that we can't see because we're so fixated on that tiny little speck in our neighbor or our brother's or our sister's eye. We can't see. Sin blinds us. And this is the second time Elijah now stands before the king, before Ahab, the king with all the power to completely destroy him. Three years, all that anger built up and he stands before him and Elijah does not flinch. Because Elijah doesn't answer to Ahab. He stands before him. He does not answer to him. Before we get too carried away with putting Elijah on a pedestal, we say, who is this guy? He's so brave, so, so courageous, so unashamed. He's fearless. He's like a superhero. I could never be like him. We're reminded of the words of James, Jesus's brother, James 5, that Elijah was a human being just like you and me. But what did he do? He prayed earnestly 
That means with all your heart, all your being, that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Spoiler alert, James. We're not there yet. He prayed. He was a normal dude, just like you and me. He was a normal person, just like you and me. But he believed in the power, the promises, and the provision of the one true God. Yes, he stood before Ahab without fear, but he stands before another. Do you see what it said twice in our reading of the text now? The first passage with Elijah, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives before whom I stand. And again, as he confronts here, uh, right before he confronts Ahab to Obadiah, he says, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand. Elijah stands before the one true God. Imagine standing before the king. To stand before him is to be completely at his mercy, to be completely under his command and his rule. You stand before the king, you do whatever he asks of you. You accept whatever he says. You hear his words. You know who he is. You serve him no matter what. Do you stand before our God? Do you stand before him? Do you stand before him? Now before we can stand before God, we must first bow down to God. We must proclaim, you are my king. You are worthy. I am not. You are worthy. You are my God. We accept his power. You are all powerful, God. You can do anything. We admit we're unworthy of his provision. We don't deserve any of this. We don't deserve any grace. We don't deserve any, anything. So we confess we've broken our end of the deal. God, we have not always kept our covenant, our promise. We haven't always chosen you. We submit ourselves fully to his will, to his way. Before we can stand before the king, we have to bow before the king. But this is no ordinary king. This is not a king like those kings in Israel and Judah. No, this is not like those kings. This is the king who reigns over and above it all. We can trust and follow this king. We may not always understand him. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because we can trust he is good. It doesn't matter if we always understand what he's calling us to because he defeated death. He gave us life. We can stand before the king. We can do whatever he asks. We stand before the king of kings. We do whatever he asks, not out of fear of death like we would an earthly king, but because the king of kings has given us life. Here's the beauty. Fast forward a couple thousand years. Jesus Christ came. He fulfilled the law. He fulfilled it. And he established a new covenant. 
a new covenant, one that is sealed in his blood. The price has been paid, the penalty wiped clean, so we can now stand before the king. We can stand before the king, not because of anything any of us have done, but because he invites us into his presence. We can stand before the king, not because we've kept our promise, but because he has never broken his. We can stand before the king, having truly nothing at all of worth to offer him except our worship, our life of obedience and worship to him. We do so. We can stand before the king in the presence of the king of kings whose grace is greater than all our sin. He alone is worthy. He alone is worthy of all our praise. In the famine and the feast, he is still worthy. In the drought and in the drenching, he is still worthy. And the blessing and the breaking, he is worthy of our praise. We stand before him as Elijah stood before him, proclaiming that God lives now and forevermore. Will you stand before him today? Will you give him your full life, your full obedience? your full submission, your full surrender? Will you give him all your worship? Elijah was this ordinary man, not perfect like you and me. But he believed. He believed and he prayed. He worshiped. He stood before his enemies and he didn't even blink because he's already stood before one far more powerful. He is our king. He alone is our king. Give him your life. Give him your worship. Give it to the king. We can stand before him, for he not only invites us into his presence— he not only invites us into his power, he not only invites us into his promises and his provision, he gives us a seat at his table. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please pray with me. God, you are worthy of it all. And there have been times in our lives when we have believed lies of the enemy, where we have gone astray, when we have built our own idols to lesser things. And yet your love for us has never once ended. It has never once blinked. And so we submit ourselves once more to you and say thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being so worthy of it all, worthy of all our praise. In fact, God, we can offer you nothing but our fully surrendered lives. 
the life that you breathed into us. We can offer you nothing but the words on our lips and the steps of service that we proclaim that you are our one true king. We celebrate the victory, the promises, the power, the provision that is provided at this feast of which we are about to partake. You are so good, God. Remind us again where we need in our own lives to believe that you rule and reign over it all. All this in your kingdom is yours. God, and we long to seek you and serve you and love you and live for you and lead others toward you in this day and age right here and now. May it be so only by the power of your spirit who lives within us. By Jesus' name we all pray and proclaim and say, Amen.